Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Chaos and Shadow podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Pagan. Pagan, how are you doing this week? I am doing very well. How are you? Super well. We're just getting off of a big Witch's Sabbath weekend, and we're still c- cooking and kicking it full cylinders here. We are sitting down tonight with Peter Biebergall, author of Strange Frequencies, The Extraordinary Story of the Technological Quest for the Supernatural. Peter, welcome to the show tonight. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I know we've sort of been in in touch for a little while about um, my possibly coming on. So I'm glad this finally worked out. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time. It has been a busy couple months. Uh, Most of our audience out there may know of your book because Pagan and I have raved about it back and forth. I read it through Greg and Dana Newkirk's um, Paranormal Museum. They did a book club with it in the spring and life got really busy. I ended up moving. Halloween season's been in full swing. So I'm so glad We got to take some time today and chat about it because in your interview with Greg, which I'm sure many of our listeners have heard as well, you guys got onto the topic of enchantment in the paranormal, how one can start playing with um, the ideas of the occult and what a mindset of play can bring to the table. So this might be a little lofty of a question, Peter, but if you could introduce your book to our audience for those that anyone hasn't read it. What would you say that Strange Frequencies is and brings to that table? It's a good question. Um, I think at, at its most basic level, it's a cultural exploration of all the different ways that folks have attempted to use technology to interact with some idea of the supernatural. Sometimes that is to have direct communication. Um, Sometimes it's actually to try to enhance one's own, maybe, um, quote, magical abilities. Um, Other times it may be technology may be used to try to uncover where others are fraudulently using other technologies to try to, say, dupe people. Um, and also people who have used technology uh, to do that very thing, um, you know, sort of the charlatans of the of the occult and uh, supernatural culture, which obviously is is a big is a big part of um, of that uh, cultural history, for good or bad. Um, and so it just covers sort of that broad spectrum, looking at sort of the, what I think are the essential themes. Um, things like spirit photography, electronic voice phenomena, the uh, the legend of the golem, which could be argued as sort of one of the earliest uh, forms of artificial or technological, te- you know, te- of technology of the divine um, automata, which also um, the ways in which uh, our relationship to living, the idea of a living doll. Or um, the idea that that something that looks human and is inhabited potentially by a spirit, but actually is made, say, from clockwork technologies. And then really looking also at um, technologies that are supposedly used to enhance or shape consciousness to allow folks to try to be better in tune with those um, those 
you know, what normally might be limits to perception that allow us to open up our, our consciousness in new ways, things like, like the dream machine um, or other kinds of tech related technologies. So what I learned though, in doing this, which I think became in, in that research, two things began to really reveal themselves to me, which in some ways I think are even more important or, or the, the themes that I think most resonated for me was one that um, all of this, all of this relationship that we we have to technology when we are bringing to it um, an attempt to, to reach or, or, or create or communicate with supernatural or occult realities is the same mindset. I think that has that we would call hacking. So it's really about, it's about, Hacking. It's about taking something and breaking it, you know, I, I like to say to voiding the warranty, right? To open it up, turn, change it a little bit, to have it do something that it wasn't originally intended to do. A radio is not supposed to communicate with spirits or hear spirits from beyond, but we can take that radio, open it up, add a couple of, um, add a resistor here, change where some of the wires go. And suddenly you might have something like what's called a Frank box, right? Where you have a, a device that could potentially be used uh, to pick up uh, sounds from, say, what some might claim is the spirit world. And, and then that further, I think, reveals that maybe all forms of occult practice are in some ways a kind of a hack, whether they're a hack of a traditional religious idea whether they are a hack of natural uh, materials. So, um, for example, John Dee um, using uh, stones to communicate with angels, which would eventually allow him to create something called the Enochian alphabet um, with his, with his friend uh, Edward Kelly, that here is something as simple as a stone that, that actually has or, has to be hacked, right? It has to, you're, you're taking this thing, you're making it be something else. And in fact, there's this wonderful moment, which I think really highlights all of what we're talking about here. He is talking, he's communicating with an angel uh, using one of his scene stones. And the angel essentially says to him, your, your hearing isn't good enough to be able to communicate. And the stone is actually almost acting like an aid to quote your ability to be able to pick up this uh, these messages. So literally a hearing aid, right? And um, which is what these 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 scene stones sort of become. Um, the scene stone, uh, the shoe stone, is also used um, by Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, and it's thought that when he received the book. Um, of Mormon from the angel uh, Moroni or Moroni, that he had to take his shoe stones and 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 make new lenses, like put make frames and wore them like glasses. Um, again, like, uh, just a form of technology, right? Mm -hmm. a, a way of taking something, grinding, you know, like we do with lenses, right? It, we have to grind them down, and and it really is. It's a hack. Either way, so that was something that I think was really, uh, really neat to kind of uncover as a at least a theme or a thread through to to all of this. And the other thing that 
that I think happened for me was that I I came to further understand um, this idea of enchantment, which is that how I would like to define that is that the question of belief, the question of whether these things are uh, are are uh, measurably true or even measurably false, is is not really of great import. My friend and I like to joke about how, you know, we talk about when we talk about religion or we talk about um, religious ideas, often people will say, well, do you believe in God? Does God exist? And that's like the least interesting question. (laughs) Does God exist? Right. The more interesting questions really are about how we uh, continue to engage with this idea of the numinous, the divine. Um, by moments of synchronicity and coincidence that that open up these sort of uh, these little cracks in a way in our in our normal everyday perception that allow something new to come in, if only to inspire our imaginations, doesn't have to mean that we become this thing um, or have to follow it a hundred percent in our lives. Because the truth of the matter is. For all this phenomena that we're talking about, they can happen so infrequently in a way as to make it very difficult, I think, to create a, a working cosmology that, that's going to work all the time. There's a, there's a great line uh, from Foucault's Pendulum, Umberto Eco, the author, wrote one of his characters said, Don't, he warned to not turn metaphysics into mechanics. Mm-hmm that these are two different ways of, of interacting and being in the world. And, and so that also, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with this sort of long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> Perfect. Which is that those, there are, there are certain forms, say, of technology or engaging with, with technologies that I think allow, better allow for moments of, say, enchanted states than others. And it's a little bit controversial. I am not interested in technology when technology is used to try to prove something about the supernatural, the occult. I'm interested in technology that might induce um, moments of liminality or ambiguity where we really have to dive deep into our imagination, where we might become inspired in creative ways. So even though, say, I have a whole chapter in my book on electronic voice phenomena, I found that to be the least enchanting, say, of all of these things, because it tends to be very literal in its presentation. The experiences tend to be very literal, but those same tools can be used, say, by artists who, sound artists who work with glitch and accident and may bring in the same tools and use them maybe more in divinatory ways to allow for how their art then is generative by way of these, quote, transmissions, rather than saying this, this spirit literally said to me this thing through the radio to, to think about it in these more active, and I think, um, and again, to use the word enchantment, enchantment is something that would break enchantment breaks down when you try to codify it 
when you try to measure it. It is enlivened when it exists, when those experiences are liminal and ambiguous, like I said. So, so that's, that's the shape of the book. And those are sort of the larger themes that I think resonated, at least as I was writing it, resonated most for me. That's gorgeous. I'm so yes. happy with that introduction for it because Strange Frequencies, I mean, you you said it in such eloquent words there. It is a book that t- took me on an adventure um, as someone who, like you just mentioned, I, I struggle with EVP, electronic voice phenomena. I struggle when you're being told what the words are in ghost hunting shows. I'm, I struggle even when comparing my notes with someone else's because they heard potato and I heard something completely different. Um, <laughs> but it's my goal exactly. as well to chase those liminal moments. I have no personal interest in uh, proving the existence of any one thing. And I think it's really timely that your interview is happening right now on the show because Pagan and I just got done with doing a pretty intensive for the last month, we've been doing a virtual seance every Saturday, which is taking uh-huh. a lot of tools that you introduced me to, the, the brain machine. Um, I got one of those Bluetooth EEG machines you can get off of Amazon these days. Oh, cool. Quality hit and miss, but it, it's surprisingly great. And the goal for all of this has just to be play. Just see what happens. <laughs> That's Not right. prove any one thing to come through. So what I was saying, I feel like this is a great time for this interview because after Halloween has now concluded, we're sitting in our chaos and shadow world wondering what direction we want to go next. Where, What tools or techniques might we employ and how do we just keep ringing that gong of play without expecting to find one solid result? So I know... Right. To, go ahead, Peter. No, no, please. No, you, you go ahead. You're going to dive in on something. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about, you know, I think uh, divinatory tools are really great uh, opportunities for that, especially when if you are looking to sort of answer questions of, you know, what's going to happen in the future, Mm -hmm. things like that. Right. But when they are become reflective tools, and I think that there are opportunities to do some of that with technology, but also I think to not insist for myself that, again, the technology has to involve uh, something that uses a battery mm. right, or that you have to plug in, um, that it's any tools that, that we uh, can manipulate, anything that can be manipulated in a way. And I think, again, really thinking about that hacker spirit where you are taking something that you're, you're introducing a new, um, you're introducing something that normally wasn't supposed to happen to the thing that you're using and thinking about it in a new way. So once you do that, you're already bringing it into this liminal space. You're already trying to, you know, you're already, uh, you're already breaking it down to seeing what else can, can come of it. I just had a really amazing experience, um, a friend of mine is a professor at MIT and he teaches a course on the history of stage magic and mm-hmm. spiritualism and things like that. And he wanted to do a, a session on divination. So I went in and with his students taught them how to use the I Ching. And it was, it was really interesting because I went into that 
knowing without any doubt that it was going to work, you know, that the I Ching would work. And what I had to, but to do that, I had to ask the students before we, they came up with sort of a collective question and then we did it together and I rolled it and did the, put, put the hexagram on the chalkboard and we talked about it. But what I had to ask them was to enter into this space where the I Ching is, where it's true. For the moment that we are in this classroom together, to just let it be a thing that works and not to worry about, especially for them as scientists and engineers, I really had to emphasize that can they enter into this liminal space outside of things being measurable, being quantifiable. There's no data sets here, right? It's just about turning all that off and taking that risk to come into this place. And I said, and even after, you don't ever have to roll the I Ching again. You don't have to suddenly become a Taoist or anything. Like there's no expectation here. There's nothing. There's just, it's play. It's let's play with this thing together. It's called the I Ching. And, you know, like kids sitting around at a sleepover playing with the Ouija board, right? We don't, it's just in a moment that we can experience whatever happens in that moment. And what's wonderful is, is it worked. It really gave, quote, an answer to the query that was perfectly matched to their experiences as students. And, and I had no doubt in a weird way that whatever hexagram had come up, we still would have. But in the end, it was only this one because that's the one that was supposed to come up. And that's how it works, right? So that's how all of this works. And I think that it's when you, when, so I don't know if I, I sort of was following along with what you were saying, but I just love this idea of stepping outside even the bounds of what we think technologies are that we can really even unpack that a little bit when thinking about these things. That's that's a gorgeous way to look at it. And I, I will chime in that that is so important to me personally and my recent spiritual um, enlightenment or awakening, especially in this pandemic world where we're all locked down, is that I came in as someone, um, we were talking off air, I'm someone that does a lot of streaming and broadcasting, I'm a, a techie man at heart, and when I say techie in this case, I'm referring to electronics, computers, and so it was a bit hard for me to, when I, when I first stepped into the paranormal as an area we were going to podcast about, I, I struggled with traditional tarot and traditional divination techniques that date back for hundreds and thousands of years there even, it to me just I had a personal disconnect and that's where electronic divination uh-huh. was able to bridge a belief system in my brain that allowed me a new way to start the engine like it it was the shortcut it was the hack if you will electronics was the hack to let my brain accept tarot and scrying and all these other um, non-electronic forms. And I yep. think there's something really magical to that, that you, your book works at all those different methods. You have to cover a dozen different means that one can spark their interest and then hopefully set that fire to their mind. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I also love that, you know, there's, there are, um, there, there's controversies around some of that, right? Though, so should I, is rolling the I Ching 
using an online generator, the same as rolling the coins. There might even be those originally uh, you did the I Ching with uh, Yarrow stocks. So there might even be those that say, no, you can only use Yarrow stocks. And then somebody said, well, what about coins? How dare you? Right? <laughs> and then, you, then the people who use coins say, can I do it this way? There's a, you can get tarot, you can get eaching a deck of cards that does eaching that way. So there's all these different methods. I think there is the, the, the most important thing, I think, is giving over to the method 100%. And that means that you cannot, well, you cannot, to avoid, say, not liking the answer and thinking maybe, well, you did it wrong or do it again. You know, there's this question of when we were kids, when we're any, I mean, even now, if you play role-playing games uh, or board games, if you roll dice and one of them falls on the floor, if you like the roll, you say, oh, that yeah. counted, <laughs> right? And if you didn't like, you say, oh, no, no, I get to roll it again. So I think you have to establish those rules for yourself at the get-go, right? And so... There is a potential, though, that you can get into a kind of, um, you know, it's turtles all the way down mm -hmm. where, well, what if I roll again? And then if I roll again and you're and then it gets to the point where, well, then you might as well just open the book and find the thing you want. They just say that that's right. what the answer is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So at some point there is a bit of. So I think that even if you're doing it electronically, you just have to trust that that's the thing, no matter and not say, well, you know, it's not because it's electronic. It was a website. Maybe I shouldn't trust it as much. So I'll do it again because I didn't like the answer to watch. I think for those that that side of ourselves that might try to continue to really edge it in the direction that we would prefer mm -hmm. right? because we're not getting the results that we want. That's a great topic to bring up, that of switching video games around, re-rolling if you're not happy with what you got. Because uh, years ago, that was my a, a very big vice of mine in video games, is seeing, <laughs> seeing the board, knowing what I want, and then choosing to re-roll. But you lose mm -hmm. the journey, and you lose the storytelling aspect of it. When you set the parameters exactly how you want them, due to whittling it down or doubt, maybe it's... Uh, a self-criticism or overly analytical side, whatever we want to call that that comes out and chooses to distrust it, that in itself sucks the enchantment and the magic right away from it. So here I would go yeah. playing these massive yes. games and finding that I over... I, I added too much bureaucracy to my own game. You know, I, I just made it yes. tedious. And that in itself, like I said, a disenchanter. And, and it's, but it's it's hard to give over. Like for example, yeah. talking about video games, the if you really if we want to follow that to the to really the letter, the best game I think to induce that kind of experience is probably a rogue type like game. Mm -hmm. But I because that you can't save and try to come back through right. a different door, mm -hmm. or go the other way. It's either you, it's one and done, and I can't play those. <laughs> you know, so I play. Where, you know, Skyrim, where I can save, you know, I hit with the sword and I save. Yep. I hit, I get, you know, <laughs> save. <laughs> you know, if I, and I can saves. keep going back, you know? Yeah. It's just, so, 
so it is, it's, it is hard to give over, I think. So imagine when you're trying to deal with your own, like, you know, sort of spiritual development, you're trying to say, communicate something. And, you know, it's, I think it's even harder to exist in, in those places that don't sometimes feel like they are, they have, we have that much control, mm-hmm. but that's sort of the point, right? Is giving up that control in a way to, because otherwise we can't be open to whatever, you know, I guess the message might be, yep. right. I'll give you just a, I've told this story before. Maybe I even told it, um, um, uh, with the, uh, the paranormal museum, uh, show, but I was in Maine during, it was this time of the year, beautiful in the woods. And I was, took a walk by myself. We were staying at some friend's house and there a, a tree had fallen and the moss had grown up along it looked like a stegosaurus back you know and and the, the color of the leaves and the air and i said to myself gosh this would be the moment to have like a full blown spiritual experience like this is it like where is it where's my spiritual experience I, and immediately as I thought that, a voice came into my head. It was like, this is, it's happening now. Isn't this enough for you? You're, you're having it. But I had, had these expectations about what that's mm-hmm. supposed to look like, that I miss it when it's happening, right? And so that's that part of when we're dealing with things like these technological tools, I think, and we're te- it's technology, mm-hmm. and we expect to have even more control what what does it mean to really give up that control? That's why the EVP thing I think can be particularly frustrating because that you know I I wrote about this where you'll be watching an EVP video where the person will have their radio set up in there, see like a Frank type box in there, letting the sounds come through. They ask a question and then and then they they caption right. Hello, everybody. Kyle jumping in here to let you know some updates for the Revelator Podcast Network schedule. If you're listening to this episode the day it went live, it is November 10th. This upcoming weekend, we have a seance between Pagan and myself on Saturday, November 13th. That is 7 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv forward slash Kyle Paranormal. We're going to be sitting down, setting some goals for the upcoming season, talking about some of our Witchy Wednesday segments we have planned but ultimately as a group coming together and deciding what we want to do with some of these interesting pieces of information we were uh, un- unraveling all throughout October. We were given numbers through seances. We've been given different herbs to burn. What does it all mean? Let's put it together as we chit chat on Saturday, November 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also to let you know that we have Witchy Wednesdays scheduled today, November 10th, the uh, November 17th, and November 24th. Make sure you join us over at Twitch at 7 p.m. Eastern time for those as well. That's going to be everything for this quick interjection. I hope you're enjoying your interview with Peter Biebergall, and we will talk very soon. And when you caption it now, I can't, I can only hear that because you've put that impression. So I played an experiment where I would close my eyes, <laughs> yes, write down what I thought I heard, then watch the video again. And more often than not, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. But then once I saw the caption, I could never go back to what I had originally written. That didn't even make sense anymore. So yep. in some ways, it was as if even that, even the EVP demonstrator 
had to have that level of control over the experience of the viewer or the listener without, instead of just letting it go and having quote, the audience sort of have their own enchanted moment. So there's no enchantment there for me. Yes. And, and it's funny that you say that because uh, EVP kind of showing the EVP like they do like that on paranormal TV, um, whatever show it happens to be where they end up captioning it. Uh, I'm like you, I have to either close my eyes or it completely ruins the entire experience for me. Right. And because I can't understand what the EVP is saying when either they're all shouting and they're like, oh, I heard this or, oh, I heard that. And mm-hmm. then the TV says something completely different. <laughs> right. And by the time you get done, you're like, I don't even know what I heard. Maybe right. it was just static. And right. so it ends up being almost a buzzkill for the show because you can't actually hear the evidence that's coming through. And right. it's really kind of sad in that report regards so yeah it i'm like you i have to either close my eyes or i just can't watch it at all yeah exactly and because you want and you you don't want the 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 shaman is not supposed to uh, i mean i again i don't mean to use such but if we go think about the idea of the shaman that that i i would think that the the role of the shaman is to induce the is to create the circumstances by which the audience the 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 tribe the participants enter into a state of a a, a new state of consciousness and have their own experience Mm -hmm. and if they have questions about what the symbols might mean of course you go to the person who you think might be able to interpret them right but you can't, if it's so directed, exactly what the experience is. I mean, I think that that's part of the problem with a lot of um, even, say, psychedelic uh, experiences, where if you are about to go on to a journey and you go and you read all the trip reports on Erowid, which is the, I don't know if you know that website where people post all their uh, hallucinogenic trip reports. Not seen it. Oh, it's so every conceivable drug is listed and there are hundreds and hundreds of, of people posting their reports. Right. So you go and you're going to do this, say you want to take some acid, you go, you read these reports or you read people having these experiences. I don't think it's possible for any of those experiences to be completely undiluted because we are going to break. We have all these expectations about what we read somebody else experienced. Maybe just a Ray Bradbury story you read when you were a kid is going to come up for you, right? And so I think that when we're dealing with any of these things, it's going to be impossible to have it completely unmediated just within our own consciousness, mm-hmm. never mind external forces mediating for us. So we're never going to get it pure, but at least you want to at least feel like it's being driven by your own sort of associations to allow for it to feel like, again, I think something that's, that's enchanted and not so codified. That's, that's really powerful to me, especially I've been paying attention this last year to the term liminal and the way that's kind of, I almost want to say re-breaking into mainstream jargon. I'm seeing people talk about liminality more than in years prior. Um, and it's, it's a space of, of mind that is 
tricky to get to, I think, if you don't know what you're looking for. Um, because I, I, me as someone who grew up in the, the 90s, I feel like so much of the world was prescribed to us as solved and we have all the answers to everything. But yet at times, I mean, that that's how we solve a problem is to look beyond to, like you said, to hack. That is progress in a way is to see how something works and develop a means to either make it work better or faster. And what I was kind of getting at is my brain was so rigid in in this thinking, including that of paranormal television, where they tell you everything is a demon or everything is a this, that or the other. It's so prescriptive to what everything is. Yet you get into this land of play whenever you can pop the seal on that, whenever you can let yourself experience play and, and, and enchantment. I find that the results there are even more interesting and we were talking yeah. about EVP, I thought of songs that musicians write. And when you don't know what the lyrics are, you can almost like a song better at times when you think you're hearing what the artist is saying. But then if you go and look it up online and see the lyrics, you're like, oh, wow, that really isn't that impactful to my heart. That doesn't remind me of an old romance or something where you had put <laughs> those words into it. And I feel like that in its own is just this magical way of thinking about the world. You, you just solved the problem for me. Um, I'm reading uh, Robert Bolano's book, 2666. Do you know this novel? No, I don't. He was a, a Spanish writer. He died. Uh, he also, I guess, his Savage Detectives was maybe one of his most famous books. Anyways, um, there's a, a moment where these uh, this fellow meets this, uh, learns about this artist who was this great artist. Everybody loved his work. He started a whole new kind of art um, and cut off his hand and basically like uh, mummified it and then put it on one of his paintings and then went and then never painted again and ended up in insane asylum. And this character became obsessed with why he had done that. And he ends up finding the, the asylum where he is and asks him why he cut off his hand. And the artist leans in and whispers something to him. And then his friends, the friends of the guy who wanted to find out why the artist did this, he basically just disappears. From, and they think maybe he killed him. They don't know what happens after the artist spoke this whisper. His ear, and I was so, in the book, I... I wanted to know, but I didn't want to know. And it was, I wished he didn't. And then the answer was the artist told him for money. Oh, and it was devastating. Yeah. All the magic poured out. And I realized why, why tell this story? And you just answered it, right? It was better to stay inside of that, not knowing. Uh, wow. And once we know, once we knew it was, he, it was just, it was so heartbreaking, <laughs> right? So I think that that's so important, but it's very, very hard mm -hmm. to not want. I think that's why conspiracy theories, especially, you know, are uh, because people cannot live inside these sort of liminal spaces. They're better to have the control be the most nightmare, satanic, you know, Illuminati, mm -hmm. Jewish lizard thing that you can come up with 
than to say things are sometimes chaotic and people act in ways that are completely irrational and there's nothing we can do about it. Better to at least have the control be an evil force than to be no control at all. That's so important to this day and age. And and the space that Pagan and I are in with doing the show weekly, we encounter and do our very best to steer very well clear of sites that are promoting those super dangerous conspiracy theories. And I think like you're hitting at there, it's an attractive thing to folks to want to believe in something we're we're walking a line where we want to believe in certain things we're presented without evidence for most of the things that our society is based on i mean religions around the world we have our our evidence but most of it being belief it's hard to draw that line in the sand harder for others i think to walk the line where it stays safe um when when you were talking with greg uh, Newkirk, you brought up a conversation about what you can actually make art out of and that there are topics so dangerous that nothing beneficial to humanity comes out of it. Um, no, exactly. I, I had a, actually had an argument with somebody about that very thing because I I had point, but most of the people in my life know that I, I, I think about and care about it, spend a lot of time talking about religion and spiritual things and magic, the occult. And um, I had mentioned on Facebook that I had been invited by, actually after Strange Frequencies came out, I had been invited by a bunch of uh, podcasts that then when I would look to see, learn about them, right wing, you know, conspiracy theory things. And a lot of, you know, there was one that was, you know, Mexican socialists are coming in across the border maybe you know mexican muslim socialists right across the board (laughs) i said and and a friend of mine said well why are you surprised this is what people this is religion or this is just belief when people believe crazy things this is what happens you should understand it you study this you well you know and i said well you know i think that there's a big difference between say that and um john coltrane's a love supreme you know there's And, you know, he kept sort of going at it. And I said, you know, ultimately, exactly what you just said, great art, whatever you believe about it, whether it's true or not, incredible art and music has come out of a belief, say, in the Virgin Mary, whether it's a Bach Mm -hmm. cantata or a Renaissance painting. I have yet to see any thing like that come out of 9-11 conspiracy theories mm-hmm. or beliefs that there is um, pedophile Satanists in a pizza parlor, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to me, the, 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 what is the end, what does it inspire us to do or be? What do these beliefs inspire us to do? Be? Yeah, sometimes even a belief in the Virgin Mary can um, prompt people to do terrible, horrendous things. I'm not Mm-hmm. would never want to suggest otherwise. But I think that we can say fundamentally there is a difference between, you know, a satanic conspiracy and a John Coltrane record. And that if we can't parse those things, then I think then then maybe the fault is that we need a completely new language to talk about what we're trying to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe enchantment, maybe that is the, maybe maybe th- because again it doesn't have anything to do with belief 
And that's why I think technology is so fascinating because technology, let's let's take, for example, EVP, because mm-hmm. it still functions, I think, often as a really good example. Science says the science that makes something like a radio possible, the scientific method that would make something like a radio possible would also be able to probably demonstrate, at least by virtue of um, it not being repeatable, that spirits cannot communicate with us. The, 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 the spirits of the dead do not communicate with human beings. But the radio, the technology, which is a byproduct of the same scientific method, offers the human being the opportunity, the non-scientist, the amateur, the hacker, to in some way sever its direct connection to the scientific method that makes it possible to use it in a way that says, absolutely no, this thing is proof that spirits do communicate (laughs) with human beings. But they're relying on something that its very existence is only possible because of tools that say that itself is not possible. Does that make sense? Yes. It It makes perfect sense. And I think that that's wonderful, you know, that that's, it's a funny part of this. That's why um, I think some uh, the photographer Shannon Taggart uh, serves as a really good uh, thing. Uh, for your listeners that may not know, Shannon is a photographer that uh, works a lot taking uh, photographs of spiritualist communities, particularly Lilydale in, mm-hmm. in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And she purposefully, I guess she would say, misuses the camera in a way to create these ambiguous things. So when she's taking a picture of a medium in a trance state, the medium will say, the medium would say, I'm going to go into a trance state. If you watch, you'll see my face may change because I, these ectoplasmic masks will take over when I'm channeling the spirit. But if you're watching, you probably don't see that. But the way that Shannon sort of hacks her camera, misuses it by allowing uh, too much light to come in, very long exposures where you wouldn't normally do that. You look at the picture later, and there will very much appear to be something like an ectoplasmic mask on the medium. So the technology becomes this mirror of the the technology becomes a a mirror of the narrative of the myth in a way, yeah. um, which is fascinating that that can happen. But that only happens because of our relationship as participants and as viewers to it and again because it's technology and and it's somehow it's not science it's technology like this distinction that we make between those two things is fascinating it's the same reason why somebody can somebody on their cell phone who uses their cell phone may believe literally that say the universe is only six thousand years old you would think that those two things would be completely incompatible because again the scientific method that makes something like an iPhone possible also tells us with almost full certainty that the universe is far, far older. Mm-hmm. It's the same set of tools in a way. And yet, because it exists as this device, this thing, it doesn't have to interact with this other broader idea of what science is or isn't. I think we're seeing that with, I don't want to get too controversial, but I think we're seeing that with it. COVID vaccine vaccine mm-hmm. controversy right now. Yeah, it, it's 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 a hard topic to avoid. It really is because <laughs> uh, it, it was coming to mind a moment ago when you were speaking that 
we are living in that world where, and this is about the time you'd said we need to come up with a new language for it, a new way of, of defining the conversation that, I mean, even today, I just saw on Twitter that I think it was Ted Cruz is uh, attacking Sesame Street about the COVID <laughs> va- vaccine. Right. And right. it is just to, to put ourselves in a world where we Who have, himself was vaccinated. Though. Right. Bingo yeah. right there. Also <laughs> trying to leave his state multiple times during <laughs> crisis like the man. Yeah. Without getting too into the weeds, it's wild to see that we have politicians who are, quote, supposed to be looking out for everyone's best interest and also use facts that are, that are available and yet spend their time attacking Sesame Street is a very, very weird world to live in. And it sets people, I think, dangerously into these mindsets where they have extreme escapism. And I am talking the alt-right style of escapism. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't sure. people uh, finding God and, and making great art from it. Instead, it's, you know, people finding alt-right posts and then using it to attack their family members. It's, right. a, it's a weird world. And I'm curious about that language. Uh, and I'm wondering, I hope humanity finds it soon, a new way for us I, to talk. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I don't want to assume that all your nope. listeners are on, are on the left necessarily. But I do think that in some ways, okay, let's put it this way. I think I've, I've talked to somebody recently about this. The religious right or the alt-right lives in an enchanted world. I don't believe the left does. I think the left Mm -hmm. in some ways had to abandon that, the kind of romanticism, because it smacked too much of the religiosity that the left often feels is, and rightly so, is dangerous. But I do, but I think we're seeing that with things like, um, you know, Michael Hughes, you know, Michael Hughes, who did the um, buying Donald Trump spell. Yes, Mm -hmm. indeed. Um, The, you know, at the when Trump was elected the, at the Women's March, there was a lot of witch representation, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of witch magical activism on the left, but it's, I don't think it's fully, it, it's obviously not a big part of the conversation. I mean, in the 60s, you had the yuppies trying to levitate the Pentagon, right? I mean, obviously it was a, it was a, it was a little bit of trolling, but it still played into that way in which our imaginations can can do that work mm-hmm. for us, right? So I, I think that there, we need, I think when we talk about a new language is, you know, is a way of finding something that allows for talk of, talk of God, talk of community and the divine and the numinous in a way that isn't, that is open and egalitarian. Obviously it's very, very difficult to do that. I think the occult, community in some ways has better language to do that say um, than a lot of christian communities because there's so much baggage but there's a lot of great very liberal egalitarian churches like the united church of christ and obviously uu churches and things like that and obviously in 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 jewish and, and muslim communities as well so there's that but i think that it, it's very difficult, I think, if you are progressive to feel that religious language or the language of enchantment is going to be a useful tool because it can, again, I think, feel like you're now suddenly moving into this area of this being irrational and not and being too much like the thing we're trying to get away from. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that really rings true. And it, it makes me think, I, I remember you and Greg had brought up kind of the new atheist movement at one point. It makes me 
um, you're right in saying that language of enchantment can be challenging to use amongst our peers on the left. I mean, one of my friends uh, who who's a counselor and does great work there uh, kind of laughs whenever I talk about my interest in the paranormal. And funny enough, when he was in his 20s, had a, a, a big interest in paganism himself, but has moved into that state of a, a more atheistic view. And so conversations like that wouldn't really sway him nor build camaraderie uh, like you were saying, in a way that the alt-right has that fantasy world they live in and they imbibe in its many different levels and its language. It's got a jargon. It's got a a very malicious but passionate heart, something that drives and them the world forward. is the world is alive with magical things. Mm -hmm. They're dangerous and trying to destroy everything. <laughs> and they're and they're gay. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> but you know, it, 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 it's, and so that's the thing is how can we, how can we envision a world like that? That is, um, that is open and, mm -hmm. and a spot, you know, as, as egalitarian values. And so, yeah, certain religious communities, I think do that very well, mm -hmm. but to create a broad spectrum of that is hard. And so, you know, it does take, I think just those moments that you were talking about, just the playful moments where, you know, podcasts like yours that are not trying to prove anything. Yeah. They just want to play. I mean, I was so um, refreshed by um, the, the interview I did with um, Greg, uh, Craig, right. Mm -hmm. um, on, on, and, and, to, and to find that set of kindred spirit mm -hmm. around these, around these things. Right. And, and it is interesting that atheism, that the new atheists, you know, it, it's a funny thing who new atheists seem to talk more about religion or care more about religion. What is it about these things that, that continue to to make us confront that? That's that's the most interesting question. I like it. I think. Go ahead, yeah, I think a really big part of it is humans, I think, are supposed to be spiritual beings. I think we're supposed to connect with that liminality. But the problem is truly that language barrier. We have a language barrier with each other and trying to find that language that allows us to communicate not only with each other, but with whatever else is out there, whatever it may be. And however it's coming through, I think that that's our problem is that we're going to continue to run into language issues. But through the act of playing, through the act of experimentation and trying, we're able to find some common ground that allows us to communicate with the limited language that we have and allows whatever we're communicating with to understand that limited language for us to have some sort of communication Versus no communication. <laughs> right, exactly. Well said. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's such a wonderful time for us because, you know, Kyle and I have, we've talked about the fact that we've been doing these seances and every seance we do is completely different than the one we did before. It's never us trying to always communicate. Yes, we do communicate with some similar beings, mm -hmm. trying to see if we can get new terminology or new words or new something to come through. But the other times when we end up communicating with something completely different, it's really amazing to see how it comes through, especially because none of us are in the same room with each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're all yeah. completely spread out across the globe. 
Did you see that COVID movie about the people doing the seance on Zoom? I heard about this, Peter, but I forgot about it completely. Do you remember? Yeah, I just I just remembered it too, but it's supposed to be pretty good, actually. Funny enough, you I should mean, try to look it up and put it in your show notes. If you, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm making a note of that right now. Zoom Ouija movie. Let's see what I can find. Host. Let's see. Uh, that's it. Is that's it, host? it. I think that's the host. That yeah. was the first one that came up. When a group of friends meet up on Zoom for a séance, things go exactly as you'd expect. <laughs> Ooh. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That might be interesting. Might have to have a movie. Pretty good night. movie night. Yeah. <laughs> on Zoom, as yeah. <laughs> Super meta <laughs> inception yeah, exactly. there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Peter, this kind of brings us towards the end of um, this main part of the interview. If you have a couple extra minutes, though, I'd love to just continue chatting with you for our uh, members up on the site. So if sure. that's something excellent, we'll get a little bonus episode up there for folks. I want to let everyone here on the main feed know, though, please get yourself a copy of Straight Frequencies if you have not already. It is a, an extremely illuminating book when it comes to the different divination metaphysical tools that are in place and just expanding the mind. And I got to say, Peter, your uh, chapter about the dream machine being one that I went back and, and reread a couple times um, just really spoke to me. So I hope it does to other people. It made me think of of light and sound in a whole different way, how that can affect you and and let you tap into other parts of yourself. So I think our audience would really get a lot of great ideas from that book and continue the hacker trend. I mean, that's what we want to see yes. is more people exactly. being inventive and getting into that <laughs> liminal space. So, Peter, thank you for taking the time to do this interview with us yes, tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Everyone out there, like I said, grab yourself a copy of Strange Frequencies. I will have that in the description of the show notes for you. Uh, we're going to get off of the, the the call for just a second here as we get ready for a bonus interview. So if you're a member up on the site, make sure to go ahead and uh, access that feed now. Stay super duper safe out there, everybody. And we will catch up with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.